This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics. All at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in Kansas City. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Scott Brown is a respected voice in the ag industry when it comes to evaluating domestic and global agricultural markets. His insights into economic trends are ones that often have him on the road speaking to many farm-based groups and ag clients. We talked about where we stand and where we may be headed in 2024. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by the Top Producer Summit. I'm a farmer that likes to learn, and there are a lot of options out there, both online and in person, to gain knowledge on all kinds of topics that are important to agriculture and beyond. One place I'll be this winter to grow and learn is the Top Producer Summit, February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Each year, you can count on the Top Producer Summit to bring together some of the nation and world's top farmers and ag leaders to discuss, share, and learn from one another. It's a jam-packed schedule with topics of interest to just about everyone, and with a location central in the country, a place many of us can get to without a long trip. I'll be at the Top Producer Summit once again, and I hope you'll join me to get the latest tips and trends on critical topics in agriculture. Just go online to register for the Top Producer Summit 2024 in Kansas City. Where are the markets headed? If you grow crops and livestock, you are almost always interested in any accurate insights you can gain. But of course, there are so many factors to weigh, no one could fully predict the future. That said, the hog market is trying to come back from a challenging year, and the cattle market is looking to rebound after a tough last quarter. And there's the impact of declining prices for grains that not only are on the minds of crop producers, but also weigh on the feed costs in the livestock industry. This week, Scott Brown helps us look at some of those trends and also provides some insights into the Farm Bill and other legislation that could impact the industry. Scott Brown at the University of Missouri joins me. We're talking about livestock markets and and more as well. Scott, first of all, thanks for joining me, and perhaps maybe where I should begin, let's talk cattle first of all. You know, in the fall, we wondered how high the cattle market could go, and by the time we got to the end of the year, I think a lot of people wondered how low it could go. Walk me through what happened in the last quarter of the year in 2023 in the cattle market and how we went from a market that was doing so well and then seemed to kind of tumble off the cliff there. Yeah, well, we we certainly uh, had the roller coaster here at the end of the 2023, that's for sure. You know, I I look back and and I'll just remind everyone that, you know, if I would have been late 2022 said, you know what, we're going to see $1.90 fed cattle or near $1.90 fed cattle. Uh, I, I think a lot of folks in the audience would have laughed at at that kind of uh, expectation. Yet we pushed prices uh, much, much higher by the time we got into the early fall period. So, so I think part of that was we had some really strong prices. I, I'm not saying those weren't uh, required to clear markets, but uh, then with a few negatives from things like cattle on feed reports that suggested higher placements than we would have thought, you know, it, it certainly trimmed prices off. It just reminds me to say when we have high prices, there's more downside risk to those prices. And 
we have seen that in cattle markets as we looked at the last uh, two and a half months or so of, of 2023. We'll probably get into some risk management and talking about volatile markets here in a second. But thinking about the cattle market then as we move into 2024, so far perhaps I've seen a little bit of an uptick. But what do we see fundamental-wise in this cattle market, and why should we have reasons for either optimism or pessimism? Yeah, so I, I still am fairly optimistic about where we go in 2024. And I'll say, although we're not there, we could see record cattle prices again in 2024. Now, that may be late spring, early summer, grilling season, stronger demand that gets us to, to those levels. But fundamentally, we're still going to be talking about tighter supplies of cattle. Um, we're going to look very carefully at what's coming up at the end of January here with the uh, cattle report that we give from USDA. I expect beef cows to be down, oh, two and a half, three percent at least uh, relative to what we saw January 1 of, of 2023. So continued contraction. I think that slows or, or uh, starts to, to turn around as we get further into 2025. But I'll remind us that as soon as producers decide they want to expand herds, that also takes beef away from the market. And we really haven't seen that piece of the cycle yet. So strong prices all driven by what's going to be tighter supplies as we look ahead. I think that was what was so surprising to a lot of folks thinking that the supply takes a long time to build back. And then we saw this price dip. But it does take a long time to build these back, doesn't it? And, and why do we see those building back? You know, drought was one of the things we talked about. Maybe that's eased in some spots, but are we making a cattle market where we are going to begin to build back now, do we think? So I think it's still a ways away. I So I think we are seeing some better weather for some parts of cattle country than we've seen for, frankly, a, a number of years, I say now. Because if you look back, the top 30 beef cow states uh, that actually exceeded their percentage of D1 or worse drought designation all the way back in early 2020. Uh, and and so it's it's been dry. It's been different parts of the country that's been dry. But those top 30 states uh, continue to be dry. Uh, I think we need to build back some forage supplies before we're going to see a lot of producers too interested in expanding too quickly. Uh, I think they all recognize costs are still high for a number of things. And feed costs could certainly move much higher quickly. If we get out here in the early spring, summer, and don't have adequate rains in cattle country, um, that that's a one that we don't want to see happen, I think, in terms of that'll stop a lot of folks from thinking about any kind of expansion plans. I know that you keep an eye on the legislative side of things. On the beef industry, we're always talking about legislation and what might happen, and it doesn't seem like anything happens. Do you see anything on the horizon that does change legislatively as far as how we deal with markets and packers and so forth? Because I think cattlemen always talk about it, but it seems like very little ends up happening. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think I see anything on the horizon in terms of a legislative angle. However, I'll, I'll keep telling everyone that uh, uh, I, I don't think we're done talking about pricing cattle. Uh, as, as you think about these markets, they become more thinly traded over time. Do we get adequate price discovery? That's a number one. It's a very difficult issue to to address, but finding a solution to that, I think you could look at every livestock sector and have a similar discussion from 
dairy who has a very regulated pricing system to hogs where we cash trade less than 1%, yet it drives a lot of the market. We're, we're going to keep debating this. And I think it is the big issue over the coming uh, decade that, that will not go away in terms of as these markets become uh, thinner, fewer participants, more concentration, how, how do we handle the pricing side of the equation? Is there one particular event that you think is the tipping point that makes us, in a sense, have to address it? Uh, because it, we continue to move down the road, and that event, if it is, if there is one, doesn't seem to ever happen. So we certainly had very wide packer margins, uh, in, in especially during some of the COVID period of time. To, to me, that's always the one that gets the attention of producers the most, uh, processors who they feel like are making too much money. Uh, I'm, I, so I, I feel like that's the one that we'll continue to watch, and that's changed a lot. Uh, when you look at where we are today, margins for Packers, uh, much, much slimmer uh, than we would have seen just a few years ago. But it's the it's the sharing of revenue from the consumer that I think is, you know, ultimately going to drive any kind of change. Uh, I'll just say finding a solution to that problem uh, is very difficult. And I, I think that's where we'll struggle ever changing because there isn't an easy solution uh, to these to, to this kind of problem of of concentration market access on the hog side as we look back to the past year almost the reverse uh, hogs continued to slide and in many cases some hog producers very difficult challenging situation wondering how do we keep moving and, and move it forward what do you see on this hog side I guess it's easy to say well it's got to come back some because it seemed like we slid so far but what do you see in this new year well, I still see 2024 as a challenging year uh, for pork producers, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I like to remind us on, on the demand side to begin with, 2021 and 2022 were phenomenal uh, years for pork demand, meat demand in general, but pork as well. And, and 2023 really just backed us up on the demand side to where we were prior to those two really good years. Uh, but But if we keep demand where it is today on the pork side, I think Prices for hogs are very similar to what we experienced in 2023. Um, now, I think the supply side here, you know, we got hogs and pigs at the end of 2023, um, would have suggested a, a cut in the breeding herd that was the positive part of the report. Unfortunately, productivity continues to grow pretty rapidly in terms of things like pigs per litter. And, and so that's telling us we're going to probably have additional pork supplies on the market in 24. I, I think that's another reason why we keep hog prices uh, in check. Now, maybe the the silver lining, and not everybody's going to like this answer. I think feed costs could continue to go down, absent drought or short crops, either in Brazil or in the United States in 2024. Well, let's talk about those input prices because if we look back a year ago; they were definitely higher uh, than we are now. How does that factor in? We know they are lower, but how much lower and how much impact does it have on these livestock markets? Yeah, you know, Andrew, we started 2023 uh, Omaha cash price of $7 a bushel. Uh, we sit here today about $4.80 at Omaha. Um, it, it just reminds me, that's a big change in terms of the cost side of the equation. Um, and if we continue to talk about corn prices that move lower, I think that opens up some better returns now 
The problem is we have a lot of other input costs that are higher as well. Interest rates, um, labor continues to be a problem. You know, so, so it's it is a balance. But what we need in terms of break even is a lot different at four dollar corn than it was at seven dollar corn. I know you mostly focus on those livestock markets, but thinking about those input prices, what has it done for those that are on the crop side? Those margins are certainly tightening because we do not have the $7 corn we had a year ago. That That is true, although we've seen crop producers with some inputs that have gone down. We could talk fuel, we could talk fertilizer. Uh, it's a mixed bag there as well. Yet, I will say, you know, if we get corn prices uh, next year that are I don't know, four dollars, four twenty-five. That doesn't work very well. Uh, safety nets are going to become more of an issue for crop producers. Could be the impetus to writing the next farm bill as well. Um, but it's kind of a change where it's been a, I think, a pretty good ride generally for crop producers. Yes, costs have been high, but prices have been high as well. Unless you had yield challenges, I think it was fairly good for a lot of folks. That could change, um, and into this idea of volatility, uh, protecting downside risk, it may be more important for crop producers the next couple of years if we have average crops. Interest rates are higher. In the research that you do, do we see an impact yet on the higher interest rates for operating loans or if somebody's out there purchasing land? Is that cycling through this market yet to have much of an impact, or is it pretty much business as usual? Well, I do, so I think maybe we've seen a little bit of, of slowdown in the rate of growth of land prices. Uh, I think interest rates have had a little bit of, of impact on that. Uh, I've often said I still think there's a lot of, of money flowing out in rural parts of, of the U.S. that has kept land prices uh, continuing to march higher. I, I think that's beginning to, to slow immensely and interest rates could have more impact on land values going forward. Uh, we'll see what kind of reductions in interest rates we see as we go through 2024. However, on the operating side of the ledger, uh, I, I think it's certainly added uh, more complication for a lot of producers and what it takes to pencil a reasonable return uh, with those higher operating interest costs is, is certainly uh, at play. You know, we've mentioned the word volatility several times, and I don't see the volatility going out of these markets. I doubt you do. So as we think about whether we're livestock, crop producers, whatever part of the ag industry we're in, how do we get our hands around the increased volatility? We hear that all the time, but I don't know if all of us act on it all of the time, perhaps. Yeah, so so certainly a tough question. I So number one, I like to remind folks, I think the structure of ag continues to change. It and and I say that because I think demand for commodities at the farm gate is less responsive today than it was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. So small changes in supply give us bigger uh, shifts in prices. So there's a re- there's a reason for more volatility beyond what many of us would describe as a lot of black swan events that have been occurring in the industry for a period of time. So I like to to start there just to say, I think volatility stays with us even if we don't talk about these big black swan events that I think we've seen of late. I I will always say I want folks to hit singles and, and doubles. Uh, if you swing for the fences and hit for, try to hit the home run, um, it's good when you hit one. 
uh, but you know, also don't want to strike out. Uh, so being able to know what your production costs really are and what are the opportunities to lock in some reasonable return, that's when I think we want to start you know, looking at those markets. Crop insurance has certainly been important for uh, producers on the crop side of the equation. We'll see what uh, price guarantees come with uh, the crop we put in the ground next spring. Uh, on the livestock side, you know, so USDA has given us uh, LRP uh, with higher subsidy rates than we've seen in the past. It, it, it works for all sizes of operations. So I, I think the tools in the toolbox are, are certainly greater on the livestock side than we've seen for a while. And that's for both cattle and hogs. From your experience, the LRP, is it a tool that is underutilized by a lot of producers? I know that there are limits on what you can do and, and how many head and so forth, but still, you mentioned that the higher subsidy rates on that that might make it more attractive. Is it something that folks aren't looking at that perhaps should? So I think we've been slow in uptake. I think as we look at 2023, we're going to have found a lot more LRP usage than we've ever seen and on the cattle side. I always say I want folks to take an LRP contract and not get an indemnity payment. Pay the premium, don't get anything in return. That met prices went higher. Um, this is all about risk management, not maximizing revenue. So what am I willing to pay in a co input cost uh, to be able to protect the downside? Um, I, I do worry that we go through a period of time here where if we don't make big indemnity payments, producers will say, why am I, why am I taking LRP? And I'm going to say LRP is going to, and I'll talk cattle here specifically, you know, we're going to build the herd. I believe at some point, if unless weather just stays incredibly dry, we'll get prices to move lower. Those are the times where LRP is going to be the most helpful to their bottom lines. So Taking LRP when we have record prices, I think, is a good strategy, but we want to be protecting all the way down as best we can. And I don't know if that is 2024, 2025, 2026, but I don't want folks to get caught uh, deciding they shouldn't do LRP anymore just when they really need it. Do the crop producers and livestock producers look at that totally different? Because the crop side, I think, Crop insurance, most folks, that's just a given. You're going to have crop insurance. Livestock producers, um, I've heard of this LRP, and maybe some use it, but a lot don't. Yeah, so I, I think for the generally for those older in the industry, uh, they're not used to those kind of, of risk management tools. I sometimes say, you know, turning the bull in the same day, weaning the same day, taking my feeder cattle to the auction the same week every year, every year is a risk management playing it may not be a good one so this this idea of of being flexible in marketing is important i think all of us are great producers but spending time thinking about how i want to market oh that's that sometimes can be an afterthought and i'm going to say that's more important uh, as as we talked about all the volatility than ever before to think harder about that marketing plan and again, we're not trying to maximize here. We're just trying to reduce the downside risk. L What's nice about LRP is I know what it's going to cost me. I don't have to pay that premium cost until that LRP contract is ended. Uh, and, and there are no margin calls. So I'm, I'm not telling folks to go out there and get in the futures market. 
Uh, that might not be their best strategy if, if they aren't ready for those margin calls. But there's, here's a tool that costs are known. It protects the downside. It's really simple. Um, I sometimes say, even if you just want to do one head, <laughs> if, if you want to learn how to use LRP, it's a good opportunity uh, to think about some risk management. As we think about some of those risk tools, we have a farm bill looming out here somewhere in discussion. Certainly the crop insurance and LRPs and livestock and so forth, that's a big piece of that. Do you see any changes? What are you hearing from lawmakers as far as what they want in a future farm bill when it comes to that piece of legislation? I, I So I certainly think you have a, a, a large majority of, of folks on the Hill who will say, we don't want to mess with crop insurance. It's been important to the safety net. Um, now, having said that, do I think there are others on the Hill that would be happy to see cuts in crop insurance? Yes. So I, I always tell producers, don't rest. Uh, you need to let your member of Congress know what's important to you from a safety net perspective. Um, and and I again, I think we've seen crop insurance just really work well. LRP? You know, so until we saw the increases in the subsidies and the uh, increase in head amounts available for, for LRP, it didn't work for everyone. It's a much better tool than it once was. Finding more of those kinds of opportunities on the livestock side, I think, is important. Um, the Again, all the volatility and, and the length of time from production. I mean, we talked about this from the time I decide I'm going to grow my beef cow herd Till I have cattle to sell, that's a long time frame. A lot can change. And what was the perfect decision maybe that was being made to expand might turn out to be the worst decision by the time I'm selling cattle. How do I do risk management to avoid those kinds of outcomes? I know this will be difficult to answer because it's broad, but in the time we have left here as we think about the farm bill, any other pieces of it that you'd say, you know, think about this or watch out for this because this may be something new or a different direction that we haven't thought about that we may be headed. Yes. Yeah, so I always remind on the livestock side in particular to focus on the trade side of the, uh, the farm bill title. We want to be growing markets for things like beef and pork in front of us. Uh, I will say the, the pork industry, I think has done a very nice job in the last, uh, 12, 18 months of growing some new markets for their products, uh, depending only on China, uh, can can be be difficult uh, in terms of when the Chinese want product, it's all good. It's why we got higher hog prices in, in 2020. When they don't want product from us, then that can become a problem. It, it creates a backlog for us. So being able to talk about that trade across a number of countries that's important. So the kinds of dollars available in export assistance programs that we have in the Farm Bill, I think is an important piece of the puzzle. I always say to producers, when you look ahead, the growth in consumption of your products is likely going to be greater outside the United States than within the United States. So focusing on those uh, customers in the rest of the world, I think is really important. Scott, I appreciate the time. I'm sure many farmers and others uh, out there in the ag industry will see you. You're always on the road speaking at a lot of places. I'm sure that'll be the same for this year, right? That's correct, Andrew. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining me on this week's show. 
Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside on our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways on many local radio stations at farmingthecountryside.com or your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, just go back to one of those platforms to catch other topics of interest as well. We try to have a variety of guests who provide information on many parts of the ag industry and rural America. And please be online, be in contact, and share your thoughts on who would be a good guest for future shows as well. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and ag leaders speaking on important industry topics. All of the 2024 Top Producer Summit in Kansas City.